Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Good morning, Valley Church. Good to be here. I am excited to share with you what I have titled this next portion of the Sermon on the Mount, The Call of the Kingdom. The Call of the Kingdom. As Jesus followers, he has called us to live on this earth totally opposite from the ways of this world. And right from the start, I'll just tell you, not to discourage you, but actually to give you some hope, is that you cannot perfectly obey the call of the kingdom on your own. It is only through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit within you that you can be obedient to this call that Jesus gave to his followers. Um, The Sermon on the Mount calls for Jesus' followers to live a certain way in this world, but it's not about trying to be morally good or perfect because we will always fall short. That is actually living the life of a religious person. The call of the kingdom is to live in obedience to what Jesus has done for us. Actually, I want you to remember this saying that Religion says you obey and then you're accepted, but the gospel in Jesus says the opposite. It says you already are accepted, therefore you will delight to obey. It is our joy to live in obedience to Jesus. So if you're ready to answer the call of the kingdom, say, I'm ready. All right, open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to pick up where we left off last week, starting at verse 13. Um, Remember, Jesus is sitting on a mount, it says, probably like a hillside, and he just finished teaching the Beatitudes, the way of blessing that we looked at last week. And so Jesus continues on, follow along with me in verse 13, Jesus says these words, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, How shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Continue on in verse 17. Jesus went on to say, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same 
will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Father God, I humbly come before you this morning, God, and ask that you would take these words that are full of life and power and use them to transform each person's life here. Holy Spirit, only you can do that, and I know you will. I believe that you are going to bring life change today, and so as they, they feel that pull from the Holy Spirit this morning, as you are speaking to us, God, don't let us resist it. I pray that we would leave here today being more salty, shining our lights brighter, and that in so doing, we would live out the call of the kingdom to be obedient to you and to your words. And Jesus, this is not for our glory at all. It is always to be redirected to God the Father in heaven. We pray all of these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are going to look at this passage and break it down verse by verse because Jesus says some interesting things in these um, verses. So we're going to start right back at verse 13 when Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. So we're going to look at that first word, you. This is an individual calling. Jesus makes it personal and says, you. No one else can answer this call of the kingdom except for you. You could put your name in the verse um, and, and say, if I did for me, it would say, precious is the salt of the earth. But then we probably are wondering, why is Jesus calling, calling his followers salt? Like, what does this mean? Well, in order to understand this, we have to look back on the importance of salt in Jesus' day. Salt was very valuable. In fact, sometimes in Jesus' day, people were paid with salt. There's two things that we know about salt. It stings and it also preserves by slowing decay. So let's look at the first effect of salt, is that it can sting. Our presence as Jesus' followers in this world should sting people's conscience and wake them up to their spiritual condition of living in sin. It should help them to realize that they need something that they didn't even know they needed, and that's salvation through Jesus Christ alone. Sometimes when you have a cut or a wound, um, you don't always realize it when you have it, but if you stuck it in salt water, what would it do? It would sting, and you would know immediately that you have a cut or a wound that you need to address. You see, our world today has cuts and wounds all over them, but they don't realize it. But we as followers of Jesus should be that salt 
salt to sting their conscience and wake them up to the reality of sin. Our salty presence should be known. However, we're not supposed to do this abruptly. We're not supposed to take our salt and throw it in people's eyes, you know, and and do it in so many ways like we see out there today where it's actually hurting our testimony or our witness for Jesus. We are supposed to seek to stop the spread of corruption around us by our presence, by our actions, by living faithfully as followers of Jesus. You know, some people would say we need a whole new government to change our world. But I actually think that what we need is Christians who are faithfully following Jesus and just spreading salt in this world and naturally change will happen. Now, the second thing that we know about salt is that it was used as a preservative back in Jesus' day. So let's look at the preserving side of salt. Jesus is telling his followers, you are the preserving influence in this world. The world is rotting away day by day because of sin. But Jesus says that Christians who follow him faithfully and spread a little bit of salt can preserve and slow the decay of their society. As you follow Jesus, you act like salt in this world. You can have that preserving influence in your home, in your marriage, as a parent in your workplace, in the checkout line at Walmart, even in the pickup line at school. Live as salt. Be that preserving influence. You know, you don't need to pray for a mission field because God has already given each one of you as his followers a mission field. And it is right where you're at. Don't pray for a bigger platform until you use effectively the small platform that God has already given you. I believe that we could see a bigger revival than that of even a Billy Graham crusade, and this world could be turned right side up if followers of Jesus were faithfully following him and being that salt. That is the call of the kingdom. Now let's move on to the second half of the verse. Jesus said, But if salt has lost its taste, How shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. When followers of Jesus choose not to live any differently than this world, they lose their salty influence, especially in what they value and what they consume or prioritize, if you look no different than the world, then you're not being salt. Here are some examples maybe of personal compromises that you make in what you watch and how you talk 
in um, your obsession maybe over politics and giving into peer pressure, anything that keeps you from prioritizing the kingdom of God will make you lose your saltiness. Even in your marriage, when you choose the path of selfishness versus working with your spouse as a team, so when you feel like maybe you're starting to lose your saltiness, what should you do? Because you don't want to be thrown out and trampled under, feet, under people's feet. So two things I believe we should do, and I heard someone say it. You were spot on. The first thing is to pray. To pray. There have been many times in my life where I have felt the pull of the world and I have felt my salt starting to lose its flavor. And in those moments, I have prayed the words of King David from Psalm 51.12. Write this down so you can remember it. Psalm 51.12. They say, Jesus, restore to me the joy of your salvation. You know, that is a very simple prayer, a few short words that King David prayed. And I've prayed it for many of you when you have reached out to me and told me that you're struggling and you feel the pull of this world, that you don't want to lose your salty influence. Those are the words I pray for you. Not a long prayer, not super fancy, but Jesus restore to them the joy of your salvation. Sometimes we have to be reminded of and taken back to the miracle of spiritual healing that happened in us the day that we confessed and asked Jesus to save us. And so right now in the middle of my message, I want to pause and pray with you. And I just want to invite you all to bow your heads because I believe that there are some of you here as my brothers and sisters in Christ that know that you have lost some of your saltiness, that you felt the pull of this world, but you want it to be restored. And if that is you, I just want to ask you to courageously lift your hand up in the air so that I can pray for you right now and ask Jesus to restore the joy of your salvation to you. If that is you, will you just slip your hand up in the air right now? Thank you, because I'm right along with you. Father God, I pray over my brothers and sisters right now whose hands are in the air, Jesus, will you restore to each of them the joy of their salvation? Jesus, make them salty again so that they can have a preserving influence in their home and in this valley. And I thank you in advance because I know that you will answer that prayer. In Jesus' name, Amen. So when you feel that your salt is starting to disappear, pray. Ask Jesus to restore that salty flavor back into your life. And secondly, drink living water. 
And what I mean by that is to do what verse 6 said in the Beatitudes from last week. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. What does salt make us want when we eat something really salty? What do we want? A drink, a drink of water. In order to stay salty, this sounds kind of weird, but in order for us as Jesus followers to stay salty, we need to drink living water. And Jesus said in John 7, 37, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Because it is Jesus and it is his living words that will quench that thirst that will make you salty. Jesus also said in John 4, 14, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again, but the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So know this, as Jesus' follower, if you're salty, then you will always be thirsty. If you're salty, you will always be thirsty. Thirsty for living water. Now I heard this past week that we as Jesus followers need to be salt shakers. And I like that. So I brought my salt shaker with me. Because we find ourselves in a lot of different places throughout our week. We find ourselves at home. We need to spread a little bit of salt at home. We find ourselves in our marriage and maybe struggling at times, wanting to fight or disagree or be selfish. Spread a little bit of salt in your marriage. You find yourself in the workplace. Spread a little bit of salt in the workplace. Maybe you find yourself in the classroom at school. Spread a little bit of salt in the classroom. How about in Walmart, in the grocery aisle? Spread a little bit of salt in the grocery aisle at Walmart. Wherever you find yourself, be a salt shaker and spread the salt around. Jesus says, you are the salt of the, of the earth. And I believe if we spread that salt, that Jesus will use that to change this world. Now we're going to move on to verse 14, because Jesus didn't just say we're salt. Then he went on to say in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Now, first of all, I want you to think with me about what light and darkness do. I took some time this week to research a little bit um, the science behind light and darkness. So first of all, I'm going to talk about darkness with you. Because science suggests that darkness can do all kinds of things to the human body and to our brains. Darkness can make you more likely to lie, to cheat, to make mistakes at work, to be irritable, to see things you don't normally see. 
Darkness can lead to stress, anxiety, an increased heart rate, respiration rate, and it causes fluctuations in the level of cortisol, the stress hormone which makes us feel drowsy. Those are all things darkness can do. But now let's look at light and see what can light do. The first thing that we know about light is that light exposes darkness. Light can improve mood and stabilize your circadian rhythms. It helps you get a better and deeper night's sleep. Psychologically, light can decrease depression scores and even increase cognitive performance, such as reaction time and activation. And light stimulates the production of serotonin, which is known as the hormone of happiness. So my question is, why do we like to stay in the dark? Why are we often attracted to the dark? Well, I believe that it's because we have a fear of being exposed, a fear of being known, that if people truly knew who we are, that we would be shamed judged, oppressed, slandered, maybe even persecuted. When you're in the dark, you can't see anything, and you very easily get disoriented. And so to help illustrate this, we are going to um, turn off all the lights right now, because I just want us to help really grasp what Jesus is saying here. So it's okay. Um, we're all together here, okay, in the dark. Don't be scared. But um, if I told you all to get up and leave and head out the back doors right now, we would all start stumbling around because some of us would feel disoriented and wouldn't be able to find our way. And what I want you to know is that this is what it was like when we all lived in the darkness of our sin. We were disoriented. We were stumbling around in the darkness of this world. We couldn't find our way until someone came in and they shone the light of Jesus into our life and they showed us the way to Jesus. You see, light not only exposes the darkness, but it also reveals the way out of the darkness. So now if I told you guys to all get up and head out the back doors, and I led you, you would come to the light and follow me. And I would point you to Jesus. <laughs> but too often in this world, what we have is a lot of people who say they're followers of Jesus, and they're just screaming at the darkness and yelling at the darkness and complaining about all the darkness in this world when really all they have to do is start shining their light. Okay, you can turn the lights back on now. That is what we 
are called to do as followers of Jesus, to shine our lights into the darkness of this world. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Don't hide your light under a basket. We're told to put it up high on the stand so that it can give light to all that are in the house. Did you catch what the last part of that verse said? It gives light to all in the house. Some of us are trying to be the light of the world when we're not even being the light in our own homes. Jesus starts out big and he tells us to be the light of the world, but then he takes it in very small and he says we're supposed to shine the light in our homes. You see, the world is watching you very closely in that way. Husbands, do you love and serve your wives the way Jesus loves and serves his church? Wives, do you honor and respect your husbands the way Jesus asks you to? Are you patient with your children? The world is watching you especially in that way. Shine the light of Jesus first in your home and then to the rest of the world. That is the second call of the kingdom, to be the light of the world. And your light is powerful, but not because of you. It's because it is fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside you. But my question is, what prevents followers of Jesus from shining their light? And I think often... It is when they are unwilling to shine the light of Jesus into the darkness of their own life. We're too scared to shine our light because we know that we're struggling with some darkness ourselves that we don't want anybody else to see. But that is when the word intimacy becomes real in your walk with Jesus. Last week, Pastor Jonathan broke it down, that word to say, into me you see. Jesus wants to see into every part of your life and expose even the smallest speck of darkness. 1 John 1, 5 through 7 says, God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You know, the beginning of those verses called us out as followers of Jesus. If we claim that we are a Christian, then we should make sure that we're not walking in darkness, that we're not hiding a small speck of darkness in our life. That means we stop going along with what the world says is okay. Don't give in to the lie and the temptation that you can live however you want in this world as a follower of Jesus. That's not true. Sometimes as followers of Jesus, we have a tendency to do something that the Apostle Paul addressed in Romans chapter 6. 
And that is that once we come to Jesus and we ask him to forgive us, then we think we can live however we want. But that's not true. And Paul addressed that in Romans 6. He said, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So from those verses, I want to challenge you, just because Jesus has freed you from your sin, don't ever abuse or take advantage of the grace of God in your life. You will lose your saltiness and gravitate back towards the darkness. Maybe the darkness that you're struggling with right now is that you need to back off from the alcohol that is too easily leading you to a life of drunkenness. Maybe it's that you need to stop living with your boyfriend or girlfriend or stop eating away your sorrows because it's leading to a life of gluttony. Maybe you need to change the way you speak, stop cursing and taking God's name in vain and use words that edify and build other people up. Maybe the darkness is that you're looking or watching at pictures or videos, things that you shouldn't be doing when no one else is around. Or maybe you're masking the pain in life by taking drugs. I don't know what your darkness is, but whatever it is, bring it into the light. Ask yourself, where do I need to confess sin in my life and start living in repentance, turning away from it? You know what's wonderful? Jesus will gladly meet you in those dark places of your life and cleanse you from that sin. He will never reject you. He's always waiting with open arms, with grace and love and forgiveness to show you, but it takes you being willing to humbly come out of the darkness and into the light. So walk in the light. Verse 16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Why should we shine our light? Jesus tells us right here, so that. Those words, he tells us why. There's a reason he gives us for shining our light. Well, our faith is personal it is never private. We don't keep our faith to ourselves for fear of what others will think. People are going to hell. They're dying every day. And they need to see our good works so that they can give glory to our Father in heaven. You know, I heard this this week. Don't think I'm weird, but the wax was dripping. I didn't want something to happen. Keep your light shining. Okay, but I heard this week, Christians, followers of Jesus, don't do random acts of kindness. 
No, we do purposeful acts of kindness because our lives have been informed and transformed by Jesus Christ. We do it on purpose so that others will see them and give glory to our Father in heaven, not to us, but redirected to God the Father. So don't be afraid to let your light shine. Will you look different? Yes, you will. And that is a good thing. You want to look different from this world. Scripture tells us that Jesus' followers should look like strangers and foreigners on this earth. So let your light shine. Consume others with the light of Jesus. Focus on your individual actions of being salt and light and then pair that with the local church and Jesus can use you to change this valley. That is living in joyful obedience to the call of the kingdom. But now we're going to move on to the next half. And as we move into the second half of our passage for today, it's really important moving forward in the Sermon on the Mount that we understand what Jesus is saying in these next verses. Because he's going to compare religion to the gospel. So verses 17 through 18, Jesus said, Don't think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, that's a marking, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Okay, so what you need to know is that the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, thought that Jesus had come to abolish and get rid of the law and the prophets just to do away with the Old Testament. And Jesus is saying here, no, I didn't come to do away with them. I came to fulfill them. And he did. In the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, there were 613 laws that God had given to the Jewish people that they needed to obey and follow. And then there's all these prophecies that you read about in the Old Testament from Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, all those minor prophets, and they spoke of who was to come. That was Jesus. And he fulfilled all the law and all the prophets when he came. Some people would say that when Jesus came, he did away with the law in the Old Testament. Jesus did not do away with them. He fulfilled every single one. It is important to note that the New Testament will not make any sense if you don't have the Old Testament. They go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. Now, Jesus was not against the law, and we shouldn't be either. The law was good. In fact, it was great but the law was powerless to save and to sanctify. That's why Jesus had to come. And Paul helps us to understand the importance of the law when he said in Galatians 3, 20, 24 to 25, Paul said, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So the law acted like a guardian for the people until Jesus came. 
And then Paul also wrote in Romans 3.20 that the law brought knowledge of our sin and our need for a savior. He said, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But don't think that you can save yourself by obeying the law because you will always fall short. The law and the prophets were all fulfilled in Jesus when he went to the cross and he shed his perfect blood to cover our sin. Now go on with me in verse 19. Jesus said, therefore, because of what he just said, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And here we find that the religious leaders in Jesus' day were relaxing the commandments of God because they had stripped out the heart content of the law. Later on in the book of Matthew, chapter 15, verse 8, Jesus said of the religious leaders, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. The Pharisees, these religious people, were guilty of manipulating the law. In fact, they invented new laws to get around the laws, the actual laws. They were not righteous. They were religious. They were not poor in spirit like Jesus talked about in verse 3. These were prideful, self-righteous, and arrogant people. They would say, if you just do this, you'll be okay. They made the law like a checklist for people to do, and in so doing, they relaxed the law in that way. So if I were to give you an example of what that would look like for me to relax the law, it would be if I told you, if you don't read your Bible for this long every day, then you will displease God. That is not true. That is relaxing the law because I'm stripping out the heart behind it. Should you read your Bible? Yes, but not as a way to please God or make him love you anymore. You should read your Bible so that you can understand and know more of God's love for you. So the Pharisees were stripping out the heart content of the law. Jesus is going to give some examples coming up of how they relax the law in the coming sections the next weeks when we talk about anger, lust, divorce, oaths, retaliation. He's going to address several different ways that they stripped the heart out of the law. You see, Jesus is always interested in our hearts. And he finishes out this section with verse 20 saying, For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you lived during that time and you were there when Jesus gave this message, you would feel like you had no hope when Jesus just said that. The Pharisees were the professionals. They gave their life to living out the law, but they couldn't even live it out perfectly even though they tried. 
Their righteousness was a false righteousness. Jesus is not saying you need the righteousness of the Pharisees. He's saying you need a different righteousness altogether, the righteousness of the heart that comes from Jesus Christ. Now, as we go through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount in the coming weeks, remember that as followers of Jesus, we don't obey to be accepted. We already are accepted. Therefore, we will want to obey. And that is the gospel. The Pharisees were not living as salt and light. And can I just encourage you, if you don't see evidence of salt or light in your life, you might want to check your faith. Are you just being religious or are you living in a right relationship with Jesus Christ? Just because you attend Valley Church does not mean you're going to heaven. You need to recognize and acknowledge, confess your sin to Jesus, believe that he died on the cross for you. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a promise, a guarantee from Jesus. There are some of you today maybe who have never come to the light. You're still hiding in the darkness of your sin, but deep down you're longing to be healed. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And I just want to invite you today to come to Jesus. Stop living in the darkness of your sin. He is the answer, and he provides the healing of salvation that your heart longs for. So brothers and sisters, spread your salt this week and shine your light and know that this is a high and it is a holy calling that Jesus has called you to. I would like you to, if you got a handout today, can you pull it out right now? Because on the back of it, I had um, a question written on there that says, what is God saying to me? You know, it does no good for us to come to church each week, each week drink some coffee, eat donuts, sing some songs, give a little bit in the offering, listen to a message, go home, and we live no differently. We have to put what Jesus is calling us to into action. We have to live it out. And so I want to give you some time right now to answer that question from what Jesus said today, his words, what is he wanting you to do? And I'm just going to give you a minute to write that down. Today, we get to celebrate a baptism. 
um, after this song, the baptism of Tony Lehu. And what I love about part of Tony's testimony is that her brother and sister-in-law, Jim and Millie Lehu, Jimmy's now in heaven, but Millie's here today, is that they were salt and they were light in Tony's life. And because of that, Tony humbly came out of the darkness and started following Jesus. And we're going to celebrate that with her today. So know that your salt and your light do things for eternity. They make a difference. Let me pray over you. Jesus, thank you for meeting with us today. And thank you for the call to your kingdom to live as salt and light. This is a serious calling and not one that we want to take lightly. And so, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would help them to stay salty. Give them a thirst every day for more of you, for more of your word. And God, help them to always walk in the light as you are in the light. Father, thank you for the example that Jim and Millie um, are for us and that because of how they lived, Tony is able to celebrate and publicly confess today her decision to follow you. Lord, I pray that you would continue to do things that are just unexplainable and Valley Church and even in our communities in this whole valley, God, a revival that cannot be stopped because the Holy Spirit's work and his power is behind it. And I ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you are impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.